0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Curiouser and Curiouser. I'm Sadayu Srinivasan and today we have a super special edition where we are paying tribute to the legend, the icon, the ethereal queen of queens, that master songwriter and performer who turned 74 last week. Um, that songwriter, songwriter, she's a rock star to rock stars, Stevie Nicks. Um, we do this show every week, and it's on a variety of different topics. Therefore, it's a variety show. Um, you know, my background is I'm a venture capitalist, um, but I have interests in lots of different things. We basically focus on, uh, and especially music, we focus on uh, pop culture, music, but also business stuff and venture capital and entrepreneurship and all that. But today we have a special show because we've got a friend of our show, um, Eva Warrender, who's joining us. Eva is a a LA based musician and producer. She's got an EP that's going to release this year. And Stevie Nicks has been a huge influence on her life. So uh, Eva, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you, and so excited to have your input. Um, and also, Olivia, did you want to come up, or are you good hanging out in the audience? It's up to you. If you want to come up, let me know, and we'll bring you up. If you just want to be a fly on the wall, that's cool. Um, or are you here? Is that you? Okay, let me get you up here. Hello, guys. Hi. I'm gonna.
2: I'm going to leave the show to you, but I just okay. wanted to say I am so excited to tune in. Eva, thank you so much for, for coming on. I know you guys are going to have an amazing conversation. I'll be jamming um, in the audience, might have a question or two, uh, but just want to say really excited for the show.
1: Awesome. So glad to have you here. Um, okay, so let's get started. So Stevie Nicks, uh, I'm sure everybody knows who's tuning in. Uh, rose to prominence as a member of the group Fleetwood Mac. She was actually in a group before that called Buckingham Knicks with her then-boyfriend, Lindsay Buckingham. And they got incorporated into a English group uh, called Fleetwood Mac. And interestingly, that group also had Bob Welch, who was sort of a big singer in the 70s that was a part of that group before he left. Um, and it's really funny. Fleetwood Mac was definitely sort of at their height when I was a little kid. Um And I kind of always equivalated their music as easy listening, like stuff that my dad would listen to. I was never really into them, and in fact, I was think I was telling Eva or Olivia the other day that I remember <laughs> I, were you going to say something oh no 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 Keep going. I, re- I I remember when I was actually on a camping trip with some friends um when I was in business school, and she started playing. Fleetwood Mac, and everyone was laughing at her in the car they were like oh my god you're such a retro woman so and certainly when i was old enough to kind of consume music stevie nicks was really big right and so edge of 17 and stand back and all those songs were sort of big on mtv and and uh sort of music uh video shows but i was never that into her um So my fascination has literally started, as it always does, because I went down a rabbit hole. That's why this show is called Curiouser and Curiouser. Um, Literally, I read a book and I just got obsessed. I started reading about her and I just thought, my God, this woman is an icon. And We're talking about somebody that was twice voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, She's been listed on, you know, sort of prominent lists of the 100 greatest singers and songwriters of all time, eight Grammy nominations, two American Music Awards. She's won a Grammy. Um, She has had one of the best selling albums of all time. Top 10 albums. Fleetwood Mac Rumors is one of those albums. That's incredible. Um, Eva and I were just talking before the show and I was just reminding Eva that, You know Fleetwood Mac ended up being two women and three men. The top songs that came out of Fleetwood Mac um, that by that were charted or best-selling, you know, singles were mostly written by the women, by Christine McVie and uh, Stevie Nicks. So when we talk about Stevie Nicks. she also went on to, clearly after Fleetwood Mac, have a solo career, um, and she's been an influence to gen- across generations, and it's crazy how many different genre of musicians have looked up to her, whether that's Beyonce, and of course we know Edge of Seventeen opens up, um, I forget what song it is. Eva, do you remember? Um, it's the beginning for, uh, I think it's either Beyonce or Destiny's Child. Oh, yeah, I think it's a Destiny's Child song. Do you remember the song? I don't. Okay, so it's everybody knows this song, right? It's like the beginning of Edge of Seventeen that starts that song. Um, And Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Courtney Love. Um, Courtney Love talks a lot about her infatuation with Stevie Nicks and how she's been such a great influence. And in fact, later in the show, what I want to do is I want to play a little bit of silver springs which i wish i could show this song to you guys when i say show this song i've got the video of it because you will literally your hair will stand on the back of your neck and you will get goose pimples because if you watch the video of silver springs of the way she's singing to lindsey buckingham it's she's oh and the lyrics um it's so intense (laughs) it's so intense and she basically talks about how she's—he's never going to get rid of her, and she's going to follow him forever. And I watched that; I've like literally had tears in my eyes, and I don't even know why because the emotion is so intense. And Courtney Love's um Hole's album "Use and Destroy"—no, uh, it was "Celebrity Skin." The song off the album is called "Use and Destroy." It's actually my favorite song off that album, and little side fact. I almost managed Hole at that time. Um, I almost went into music management, believe it or not. So um, my first job offer actually at a business school was to manage Metallica and Hole. And this album came out under that management company. So I listened to this album back and forth and Use Once and Destroy has very, very similar lyrics. So I'm going to play a little bit of both of those songs later on. But We're talking about Stevie today from every angle, okay? We want to talk about her as a icon, a legend. She's a fashion icon, right? She created these outfits before she would go on stage because she wanted to, like many performers, like Adele and Beyonce, they take on a persona because, and Marilyn Monroe Mm. because they are actually sensitive and, and insecure. And so they take on this, I think in Beyonce's case, it was Sasha Fierce. Adele sort of channels somebody else and Marilyn Monroe would do this. Um, And I remember actually when you, you know, or if anybody is an actor in the audience, you know, that when you're on stage, something else takes over, it's not you. And that's how you end up giving your best performance. And so um, she would, she put on like these amazing costumes, top hats and stacked heels and shawls and scarves and like, you know, these gossamer wings and then around that grew this sort of witchy kind of legend, right? It was ethereal. It was witchy. It was occult. She gives out these moon necklaces to people that are part of her tribe. Um, and women started dressing. And uh, John uh, McVie, uh sorry, yeah, no, Mick Fleetwood says that at one point after they had just incorporated uh, Buckingham Knicks into Fleetwood Mac and they'd just become a new group, he realized that something had changed because they were kind of struggling before uh, Lindsay and Stevie joined them. He looked out into a sea of young women wearing, completely dressed like Stevie. And he was like, oh my God. And that's when he knew that something had changed. By the way, and ironically, that also happened during at when Madonna was coming up in the 80s. And I remember that. You know, I I remember girls wearing... I mean, I was into punk rock. I wasn't into that stuff. But girls would wear black rubber bracelets and, like, fishnet type of of, um, shirts and, like, these kind of raggedy bows in their hair and, like, you know, compression shorts under short skirts. And and so it's very, very interesting. And there's also this songwriting piece we want to talk about. We also want to talk about our relationship with men and specifically... It has to be talked about Lindsay Buckingham, (laughs) incredibly crazy, misogynistic time. Um, She had very famous relationships. She went out with Don Henley, Jimmy Iovine. Uh, She always says she wished that she had hit on Prince because she and Prince were friends, believe it or not. Um, But she had all of these famous relationships with men um, that were also well documented and talked about she is still single today and she kind of lives in, we imagine her ethereal palace with her animals and crystals and her gang of female, you know, uh, folks that are around her protecting her, but all these different kind of things we want to go into. And so I want to first like Eva, I'll pull you into this and ask you what was your, um, tell me what your initial sort of, introduction to Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks was or maybe it was just Stevie Nicks but I want to hear a little bit about how you came into this and why you're such a fan
2: yeah absolutely um it definitely started with Fleetwood Mac for me my parents are both like really huge music fanatics my dad's a musician himself and my mom is like an avid music listener so like growing up we had like giant walls of cds and a huge sound system and I'd play all sorts of stuff and they'd play me stuff um so I just really grew up with a lot of Fleetwood Mac like being played all the time. Um, and like in retrospect, it's funny because I realized a lot of the songs that I gravitated to, towards the most were like Stevie Nicks' songs, like the ones she wrote. Um, but I think the first time I really internalized all that... Ev-
1: everybody really
2: happened... did. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I really internalized it with the song Landslide. Um, that song's yeah. kind of been a really important like anthem in my life almost. I kind of I started singing it a lot like in performances and stuff and really at my middle school graduation I sang it and it just be- started becoming this thing that was very uh representative of like transition times in my life and like between my dad and I we'd play it and sing it and I don't know it just became really important for us so like I don't know as a songwriter and as a musician like those lyrics I just like was fascinated by how she could like capture these mo these feelings with her lyrics Um, And then I kind of, as I got older, delved even deeper into her discography and also her persona, like her whole, her whole vibe with like, not necessarily like a witch because, you know, she doesn't like to call herself that, but like still has this like mysticism to her. And like, to me, that's just very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, she's definitely like, she's, she's actually cultivated that kind of, she talks about Rhiannon is actually kind of a Welsh witchy type of person right she's definitely like occulting supernatural rihanna in the song and so she kind of cultivated it but she's come out in interviews and been like i'm not a witch you idiots but then she's come out and been like i'm kind of like a white witch so she's definitely kind of gone back and forth with that like sort of the admission but she clearly i mean when you look at the way that she dresses and her whole like the patchouli and the scarves and like the tarot and the occult and, you know, the houses like on the, you know, Pacific Palisades and on cliffs looking into the ocean. And I mean, it's all, and and it's also very feminine too, which is really interesting, which is so different and anti kind of the riot girl, Courtney love, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. And and in fact, I was just reading an article um, about, she talks about, listen, I got my way with, Uh, in being in these all male environments by being very sweet and feminine. Um, And I actually really understand that because not much has changed today. I'm very, very sorry to say, but um, if you want to show up like Courtney Love, you're probably going to get treated like that. And it's, you know, when you're figuring out how to get things done, and that's the goal, you have to figure out how you make things work with the people that are in your sort of orbit. And when she talks about, I read that and I was like, wow, that's so crazy how things have not changed, you know, from that time. And of course there's also, you know, there are, Christine McVie is a, I think a very important figure also in this, but this show isn't about her. Although I adore her too. I adore her persona. She's just so cool. And like, I've just seen so many anecdotes of like Lindsay Buckingham being terrified of her. Like she would just take the cigarette out of her mouth <laughs> and be like, really? Lindsay, really, all the work you've put into this band—you know—I mean, well, it's like every song that she wrote, like you know, was the one that like kind of made it to sort of into the popular imagination. Um, so, and I think it's so great that the two of them got along. And sort of as a feminist icon, it's interesting because I don't know what your views are on this, Eva, but you know, Stevie Nicks. Uh, today, we look at her and we're like, she's oh my god, she's like everything. But she did a lot of kind of questionable stuff, right? She was sleeping with other people's husbands and boyfriends, and there were all these lines that were crossed. But the thing that I have noticed about her also is that she really did support a lot of women. And it seems like she had a cadre of women around her. And that I had not seen um, before, you know, I, I... I know a lot about the history of music and different bands and, and, and really into if I'm into a band, I'm like, uh, I get really, if I'm into anything, I'm like really, 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 really. Olivia will tell you I'll spend like seven days just locked in my room, figuring out the entire story. And I can tell you that it's so rare that I've seen a rock star of her magnitude surround themselves with women. She gave all of her friends jobs. Her costumes were created. I think her, her name was, margie by a friend who actually put together that costume for her which was you know all black kind of these shawls that she could take on and off like the top hat the stacked heels because she was so tiny um the makeup and then she had a dear friend uh who died of cancer robin i forget her last name but that was somebody she'd grown up with and uh she hired her into her uh sort of circle of friends and so she I've had this group of women that were around her that would come to the studio and hang out and and there's something about that that I don't know resonates with me so deeply
2: yeah I'd fully agree and I think it's interesting too because you know I'm 24 so for like my my kind of generation of women I think a lot of people view her as a very important feminist icon and I think one of the reasons why is because like she was so authentically herself. She's she yes. you know, been in this in this industry that like really tries to like mold you into being what's commercial. Um but she was so authentically herself and also made mistakes. Like she's a real person who maybe didn't make all the right choices all the time, but still I don't know, for me that that feels more more inspiring in a way as like a woman watching a woman succeed but still not do it in a perfect way um so yeah it, it is kind of interesting how she has kind of continued that legacy and even with who she collaborates with today on music like you know she's working with like Miley Cyrus with Lana Del Rey with Taylor Swift with Sheryl Crow and like these really like also really like big
1: female songwriters today is it didn't she also work with Harry Styles or is she just hanging out with him
2: um, I think that they're supposed to be working on a project right now. I think she's yeah. trying to develop something like in film and that he might be starring in.
1: Um, You know, she also did, of course, the famous song Stop Dragging My Heart Around uh, mm-hmm. with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And she was a good friend of his Um, and actually would show up on tour. There was a time when he was going through a divorce and he was down in the dumps. And she showed up and said, I'll go on tour with you. Like, I mean, she meant like, like as a friend, like she wasn't like playing. She actually showed up on tour. She seems like a really good friend. And I kind of said in the introduction, the woman that gives the moon necklaces out, the moon, uh, because she gives these necklaces out to her tribe. And you'll notice she wears them in pictures. They're like a little um, pendant of the moon. And so if you're like one, like you'll see her niece's. Uh, She's got a niece, I think, that hangs around with her a bit, Where that, um, and friends of her, she gives that moon pendant to. And I'm like, you know, that was the ethos I had in college. Like, I created, like, a group of girls who were all super different and all didn't really like each other, but they were all, you know, I guess what they had in common was me. And I was really trying to create this girl gang that we would all each have each other's backs. And so this sort of thing really resonates with me. Um, and it's something that clearly she has cultivated and it's who she is. Um, you know, she grew up, um, in Arizona and I think she had a house in Paradise Valley. Um, and I always think of her as very Southwestern also, even though I think she also grew up in Atherton in California and that's where she met Lindsay Buckingham. Um, and so I think of her as sort of being from California, the Southwest, that hot place. Um, and again, sort of. You know, to me, I, I'm, I was born in San Francisco, but raised completely on the East Coast. So I have this kind of weird um, imagination when it comes to California, especially Southern California, which, um, you know, I have really spent very little time in. I just think of what it must have, the Southwest, what it must have been like to go. So to me, she also really resonates of, of that place. But were you going to say something? Oh, yeah. No, I was gonna say that. It's very interesting, too,
2: because I know when she moved to California, and she kind of maintained that whole like, just like her vibe and her persona of like wearing all black kind of wearing this fashion It was very different from like the school she was in where it was very like, jocks and cheerleaders and surfer dudes and all this stuff. And she like very much stood out like kind of like a sore thumb and didn't really have like a group of friends around her and even in her early life too they moved around a bunch for her dad's job i believe yeah um
1: her dad so was like the ceo of dial and greyhound and armor so she came from a good background so let's just yeah that. yeah yeah as did Lindsay they moved- buckingham by the way they all they're from atherton so
2: Yeah, and that's, like, yeah, the high school she went to was, like, pretty, like, uh, pretty nice. Um, But, yeah, like, she didn't really make a lot of friends for a really long time, like, because she was just kind of moving around. So I do think it's really interesting that now in her, like, life, she does have this, like, whole tribe of people behind her. Um, Yeah.
1: And so... You know, she, at the time, I mean, just going back into time, like she met. And it's also interesting because she has that persona, but she's also just like, she really was somebody that never showed a lot of skin and didn't want to use her sexuality in a very blatant way, like the way that, say, you Madonna would or something. And it's really interesting because that first album, uh, Buckingham um, you know, is, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's her and Lindsay Buckingham kind of like, you um, they're not wearing clothes and I mean it's not anything risque by today's standards at all but she was really uncomfortable she was forced into doing that by Lindsay Buckingham by the way and she was so uncomfortable she was like my dad is gonna hate this I mean she was somebody that really seemed to be very steady and who she was came from a good home and as supposedly so did Lindsay Buckingham but What's interesting about the relationship between those two, um, which I think is a theme that you see in a lot of American, and I would just say generally Western music, is this creativity that comes out of conflict, right? A lot of tension and conflict. So Fleetwood Mac, um, as many people know, was a married couple. Um, It was uh, John McVie and Christine McVie and then Mick Fleetwood who, by the way, had an affair also with Stevie Nicks. Um, and he was married, interestingly, to the sister of George Harrison's first wife. Um, so again, everything's all interlinked, also England. Uh, but anyway, um, and you had Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were just broken up. And so there was all of this kind of tension that was happening in the band. So with breakups and makeups and affairs, um, and then people getting jealous. But um, I think what's so interesting is when you think of Fleetwood Mac, the two things that kind of rise up to the top is Stevie Nicks is clearly the superstar that came out of that, which is why it's so funny and ironic that Lindsay Buckingham is always whining sort of. And I know people think he's a great guitarist. I really haven't studied him that much. Uh, I just know that, um, from what I have understood and seen, I really didn't like the attitude. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, in in Fleetwood Mac, you can see that there was just so much tension going on between the two of them. Um, And a lot of what has been, and of course, you know, history is always told from the Victor's point of view. Of course, everything that you read is always about how Lindsay, and I think I told you this, he tripped her. He tried to trip her on stage once and there was physical episodes and all of this stuff. And you will see all of that kind of captured, since you know in in the way that she sings, and they look at each other. If you've watched videos of them, they're literally singing, and you can feel it. Even if you're not a fan, I have never seen two people look at each other so much in a group like ever. Yeah,
2: I also think I, it's kind of fun too with their music. Because, like, I don't know, when they when they first joined Fleetwood Mac, like, that first album, like, Fleetwood Mac came out. And, like, they didn't put a lot of her on the album. Like, it was a lot of Lindsey Buckingham. And also there was the whole idea that, like, he was like, I'm only going to join this band if you let Stevie in, too. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so it's kind of funny. But, yeah, kind of watching their relationship unfold in this band as well, that was, like, so, I don't know, like got so much like success coming from this conflict is fascinating and even just like how they decided to release their music i think when rumors came out they released i don't want to know and silver springs as a single a side b side which is like both their perspectives of their breakup
1: and silver springs you know interestingly you know that that she had written that and then she wanted to give the proceeds to her mother um, right. And John McVie stepped in and said, no way, we're not releasing it that way. We're not going to. And so there were not not John McVie. Sorry, Mick Fleetwood, who's sort of like the defect. I keep saying John McVie. But I, what I mean is Mick Fleetwood, who, by the way, if you've ever seen him, he looks crazy when he's drumming. I don't know if you, he looks like he's like literally possessed in every video <laughs> I've ever seen of him. But he's like this giant guy who comes off sometimes as, the, I mean, he was also a huge cokehead as she was. Um, they were all doing drugs during that time. And as she often says, now we had no idea that it was addictive. Um, and you know, that it was bad for you and it was just recreational, but she ended up getting addicted, having to go to Betty Ford, but he was like, you know, Mick Fleetwood was like this giant sort of man, this towering presence. And somebody was saying, well, what is the thing that was consistent about, um, their success. And someone interestingly said John McVie and Mick Fleetwood, they were sort of the masterminds um, that kind of created this thing and put together this kind of constellation of different people. And it worked, you know, their, their, their songs. When you, I've been listening to a lot of just kind of the popular Fleetwood Mac songs. It, I mean, their voices blend together. They work so well. It's so beautiful. Um, You know, I mean, just when you hear the songs, like, not even the, you know, like, um, tell me lies or everywhere, the way that their their, their voices blend. It's like, I don't know. It like takes you to a different place.
2: Absolutely. I'm like a total harmonies person. That's like my, when I hear a good harmony, I'm just like, Ooh, it's amazing. And that is exactly what their music does. They just know how to blend with each other, how to, how to balance each other out. And it's, it's really, it's beautiful.
1: And I don't know if it's, Eva, tell me this, you're 24 and you're also a music person, but like, is, are, is Fleetwood Mac still listened to? Because I literally, you know, I'm, I'm Generation X. And for me, it was like easy listening. Again, I grew up sort of in the punk rock scene, but uh, DC hardcore scene, I have to say, going to qualify that. Um, but like, I literally thought of Fleetwood Mac as my parents' music. And the fact that I'm getting into it now, I literally encourage me. I'm like, am I getting old? Is that why I like Fleetwood <laughs> Mac? That, that's actually not why. I got into the book. I I really, really got into who she was. And then I moved back to the music and I was like, she's an effing genius. What? Well, how come I haven't recognized this all of a sudden? This happens to me again. Olivia will vouch for this from... I don't know. I read a book about the Vanderbilts and all of a sudden I'm obsessed about people that died like 200 years ago. But anyway, um, is it like, are people like now like listening to, I guess they're probably listening to Fleetwood Mac the way that, I don't know, we thought about like, I guess the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think
2: that like, I don't know, I I have, a am a music person, so I think it's hard to not like go back to that era and like listen to like a lot of these like great artists but I don't know I feel like they're still really popular people know their music even if it's just their hits um and I think part of that also is like because of Stevie Nicks being able to kind of like keep herself present in like media and such as like times gone on like the fact that she was in like American Horror Story and played her music in America yeah you know that was like see that
1: by the way I never saw that
2: Oh, yeah. I, that's one of my favorite seasons of the show. So, <laughs> um, But it's also cool because that kind of goes back to what you were saying about, like, at that point, she was kind of just like, well, I'm going to embrace this, like, witch persona because they literally make her a witch in the show. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's, I think it's still, that's, it's still, like, their mus- music's really still pr- pretty present these days. And I think you can also tell because of she collaborates with a lot of, like, today's big stars or, like, at least stars that, like, I feel like I grew up idolizing um and it's kind of brought back relevance to them and stuff I mean I also just bought tickets to go see her I know. At, I was
1: just gonna say so. <laughs> you're going to her show right when is the show
2: um this fall she's playing in September at the end of September and at this festival in Southern California
1: so you have to actually take pictures and let me know how it is because and oh, let I me know who's absolutely. there and who her audience is because I'm really curious um because I, I, you know, as, Eve, uh, as Olivia also knows, I have a tendency to like put in my headphones and then just start singing really loud. Like I don't care, like walking to yoga and stuff. And I've been singing all these Fleetwood Macs and then kind of looking around to see if anybody is singing along with me. They're not. Um, but <laughs> I, and so that's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe I'm just getting old and I'm like turning into my parents. But look, I'm, this is so amazing. Gold Dust woman. Shattering
2: your illusions of love.
1: Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit, just a little bit about this. We just deserves an entire show in and of itself. Her songwriting. Why is her song? And and I have said this before in other shows, and all of my female friends are horrified. Um, as me being into music as I am, I don't actually ever pay attention to lyrics. Although I'm going to talk about them later. Um, so when I think about we talked about this on the Taylor Swift episode um in thinking about songwriter, what is it about her songwriting that people love and that resonate? Why do people say she's a great songwriter?
2: I think for me, one of the things that stands out about her songwriting is just the degree of which she can capture a story, like she's a storyteller and it's not just like recounting an event, the imagery that she can pull into a song where like, I feel like you, when you hear Rhiannon, you can see this character unfolding in front of you when you listen to the lyrics of that song. And like just the completeness of that to me makes her like in a league of her own with songwriting.
1: And just to be clear, the songwriting is like, I I listen to the music and I sing the song, but they could be talking about ax murdering somebody and I wouldn't even like realize it. Um, I literally had girlfriends be like, do you listen to what you're saying? Do you listen to what you're singing?" I'm like, no, what is he saying? They're like, some of you, they're talking (laughs) about, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, But um, like, you're saying that like Rhiannon, you know, the song is about, uh, she read a book and it was something about a Welsh sort of seer slash witch. And that became a thing, like a persona, right? Of Rhiannon, um, of this kind of, somebody from the past that's mystical and I mean, totally wrong time era, but like King Arthur and magic and the power of women and the goddess and all of that stuff. And certainly that looms large. And like right now we're listening to gold dust women in the background and you just, yeah, you sort of see it in your mind's eye. Don't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a combination of that. And also, like, when I think about Landslide, like, that also captures, like, a certain emotion that I think is, like, kind of hard to put words to. Like, I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. Time makes you bolder and children get older, but I'm getting older, too. Like, that's just, like... Oh, that's it's hard so to... poignant. That's so poignant. Yeah. And those feelings are really hard to capture, but she, like, does it in a very eloquent way that's very relatable. And I think that's also why her music is, like, transcended and, beca- and still to this day is so meaningful even to people my age like who didn't grow up with listening to it um like on the radio and stuff but yeah yeah
1: well the Dixie Chicks did a landslide that was more my sort of generation where they did I think a remake of landslide yeah Um, that was in 2002 yeah yeah and then and also I think I think if I'm not mistaken that song was written because um you know hate to bring him up again but Lindsay Buckingham had actually ditched her in Aspen Colorado (laughs) and she had no way to get home so she was stuck there. She was sick and she had to beg her parents to send her money. And her dad was the CEO of Greyhound and Greyhound had gone out on this strike. And so her parents were like Stevie. And this was like before they were famous and with Fleetwood Mac. And so she they had to send her a plane ticket to come home. Um, and I think actually that's when Landslide was written. Um if I'm not mistaken. Um, But, you know, you were talking about lyrics, and so I think it's a perfect time to segue a little bit. I want to play... So, you know, I have a ton of favorite songs uh, from Fleetwood Mac and from her, but I think now Silver Springs is one of my favorite songs. And I urge everybody that's listening, if you can, you absolutely have to find the clip of Silver Springs where she is singing to Lindsey Buckingham. They're singing to each other. I'm going to play it. And then I'm also going to play the whole song, um, which has lyrics. And you'll see how she, it's a perfect example of how she has influenced modern songwriters. And you think of Courtney Love and you're like, what does she have in common with Stevie Nicks? But actually, do you know anything about Hole and Courtney Love's background? You know, She's from the Pacific Northwest, but she grew up, she kind of I think she sort of like Mm -hmm. imagines herself as being from California because she's always talking about that ethos and that era. And she always talks about wanting to be like Stevie Nicks. And you, I think you see that even like in kind of the early performances of whole, you know, there was that sort of riot girl, baby doll, you know, they would wear these kind of, um, you know, I've been, I mean, this is horrible, but I've been like assaulted sort of baby doll, like with rips and like, you know, dirt and like they've been in a fight, but little crown, to symbolize all of this stuff. But I think it was actually, uh, especially for Courtney Love, a throwback also, a different variation of kind of the Stevie Nicks, like flowy, girly, all that stuff. But Silver Springs, you have got, I wish I could show you guys this. You guys will all get chills. You have to watch the song all the way through, but this is the part that's going to give you chills. I'm just going to play it and I will read the lyrics just to your point, Eva. So here we go. I've just cued it up to the, point where it gets to the crescendo which is like like literally bone chilling <laughs> So effing powerful. I wish I could show you that. I'm literally watching that and I have chills up and down my back. She's singing to him. And the lyrics are, I know I could have loved you, but you would not let me. I'll follow you down till the sound of my voice will haunt you. Give me just a chance. You'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loves you. I'll follow you down till the sound of my voice will haunt you. Just give me a chance. Um, which is ironic because she dumped him, but never mind. Also, by the way, the, also the funny thing in that clip is there's there's a cutaway to Christine McVie who's just like, oh God, these Americans, I can't take them. She's like so calm. <laughs> okay, now I want to play, sorry, go ahead and say, I'm going to cue this up. Are you going to say something?
2: Oh, no, no, you're good. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I'm just going to now play a little bit of Use Once and Destroy. Uh, this is actually a song that a girlfriend has accused me of being very insensitive for liking this song because she's like, oh my God, the lyrics are horrible. But here is a great example of how Courtney Love was influenced, okay? So I this is my favorite song off Celebrity Skin, but here I have cued it up to the point where it reminds me of Silver Springs. Here it goes. And this was after the death of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Okay, and that the lyrics there are very, very—you'll—they're very similar. She says, "I went down to rescue you. I went all the way down. I went down for the remains, sort through all your blurs and stains. Ooh, I will follow you." Um, and then there's a stanza right before that which says, uh, "Take your rapture, blister, burn. Stand in line. It's not your turn." I would always hear that. This was before I knew what Silver Spring was. Like this was back in the like late nineties, early two thousands, and always think she was singing to Kurt Cobain. And I always felt. I mean, people say that it's actually about being in a drug addiction, but I always thought, you know, she was, you know, about how loyal she had been to it, at least in her mind. Right? These were. This was a woman expressing that she had done everything she could do for a man. And so I, that's what I felt so deeply when listening to that. And when I watched Silver Springs, I was like for the first time, which again, to remind you was like in the last six months and really watched it and saw that. And I thought, Oh my God, this is exactly what influenced courtly love. So really interesting. Yeah.
2: And it's, I, I think you're right. The sentiment between those two songs is so similar and it's very, I feel like, when you look at both of them, they say these things about like I did all these things and it was like really difficult for me, and you were not helpful in almost in a way. And then kind of what I was saying earlier with "Go Your Own Way" being like Lindsay Buckingham's perspective, I feel like the way he kind of talks about it is he has a similar sentiment because he says something like, um, "He says something along the lines of like I you wouldn't let me love you also um, yeah." But in, when he says it, it sounds kind of whiny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, but that's true. You know, well, you I, I you know, I, I had sent Eva a clip of, uh, and this is so sad because it's like, what, now 500 years later, uh, you're supposedly an adult with like grown children. He's being interviewed and they're like, what's your relationship? And he says things like, I mean, come on, she broke up with me. I'm like, excuse me, you are 700 years old. Why would you even bring that up? In an interview on Sunday morning, which is supposed to be kind of this buttoned up. I mean, my mother watches that, right? I mean, it's supposed to be like a buttoned up sort of news, you know, like kind of like a soft news show on Sunday morning. And that's where he also talks about, this is what I sent you, which we were both like hopping mad about where he says uh, he's being interviewed because I think he's been kicked out of Fleetwood Mac, like finally, like for good, I think. Um, And he blames it on Stevie Nicks. She's come out and said, I had nothing to do with that. Um, You know, that was all you're doing. Um, And I think she's intellectually, she's honest enough to say, uh, you know, I had something to do with that. She strikes me as somebody that is not going to lie about things. He, however, strikes me as somebody that will cover up to make himself look good. And in this clip, he literally says in this clip to the interviewer, um, he's, he says, she dumped me, you know, I don't know what the problem, I don't even know why you're bringing that up. They didn't ask him. They weren't like who dumped who he was just like, he like offers it. He's like, well, you know, she left me. I'm like, uh, wasn't that like 60 years ago? Like, why are you still talking about that? And then the, the thing that he says, which really, you know, kind of it it didn't sit well with me. He made that statement when the, the reporter, I forget who it was. It wasn't Charles Corral. The reporter says to him, CBS Sunday morning, this is also on, on YouTube. So what's the problem? Why, what is the problem then between you two? Like now at this stage, you guys have had so much success. You couldn't have done it without each other. You know, what's the issue? And he goes, well, I mean, I don't know. Stevie's a single woman with no one. And uh you know, I met the love of my life and I've had a family and children. So uh I don't know, maybe there's a problem there. I was lucky. I mean, maybe she's just bitter. I mean, I listened to that and I was like, I cannot believe you just said that in this day and age. And by the way, uh, about like um I don't know, but not too far after that, his wife filed for divorce, by the way. So clearly not all is well. Um the Buckingham household. So, um, and he's got a long history. It's not just with Stevie Nicks. He had an ex-girlfriend put out a book about how abusive he was. So there has been sort of um, a trail of women that have kind of sung the same song about his behavior. And to Stevie Nicks' credit, she hasn't actually come out and said stuff, but it's chronicled in books of what's happened. And then she comes out and responds, but she never came out and said, you know, it wasn't like a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard kind of thing where she was like, I was abused. She's never said that. I think part of that is generational. I think part of that is, I think she's just a classy woman. That's like, you know what? That's our stuff behind closed doors. I think part of that is probably just wanting to focus on what's important which is her songwriting, which little segue. She, like many artists, knew, like from a very young age, that's what I'm going to do. So it was in her DNA. And... um you know, I am a Hindu and we believe in that you, you know, until you're liberated from the cycle of life that you're born. And so sometimes those talent, I think of it this way, this is not, you know, something that is said in Hindus or anything, but I think sometimes those vestiges of something from a different life come in and people that are so talented, like, You know, for example, I watched AVH1 Behind the Music, which was a show, for those of you who don't know, that was about, like, musicians and bands and stuff that used to play, like, in the 90s and 2000s. There was a Britney Spears one. And they showed this little girl that's, like, three or or four years old that is singing and dancing, putting on shows, and can't stop. Like, she would just come. And it's like they're born with something that comes from somewhere else. It's not from the parents. The parents aren't musical. They're not encouraging your musical. But you just feel that that is your destiny, your karma. That's the direction you're going in. And certainly there's that piece of Stevie Nicks that says, I knew that's it. I was going to be a songwriter. So she keeps going back to that. That's my destiny. That's what I'm good at. So I'm going to write a song. I'm happy. I'm going to write a song. I'm sad. I'm going to write a song. I'm going to put together the, you know, uh, the kind of imagery and the story. And so I think, you know, I, I sort of, think about all of this in totality and what she's overcome and I keep thinking she's a tiny woman she's 5'1 with this huge voice you know that sounds like Dolly Parton sometimes who I also love um, yeah
2: I think it's also kind of interesting when you think about what you were saying but in the context of like her persona as like a witch because I think if you kind of dive into that like realm when you think about like mysticism of witchcraft a lot of it it comes out in a way it's like you don't necessarily like choose to be a witch like that's just kind of part of your like persona mentality and even if she like consciously is like i'm not a witch i think there's still elements of that that just like flow into her even if she doesn't even know where they're coming from because like if you look at the songwriting the lyrics she chose like even when we just what we're just listening to like time casts a spell on you mm-hmm. like that's the lyric that she came up with
0: mm-hmm. so
2: like i don't know Even if she doesn't like identify with it or believe in the philosophies of it, I still think that there has to be something behind that. Like, even if it's subconsciously in her, bring forth into her music. She's definitely,
1: she's definitely come out, Eva, and said actually that she's into the good witch, white magic sort of thing. She's said different things in interviews, but I think she came out at some point, I don't know if it was in the 80s, and said, I'm not a witch, you idiots. It's just my clothes because there were people starting to talk about her being a witch sort of black magic-y. And I think she was like, listen.
2: Yeah, and I think that, like, it got to a point with her, like, her being, like, afraid that someone might, like, hurt her or kidnap her or something, because, like, you have these people being like, oh, she's, like, a Satanist and all this stuff. And, like, that's just her vibe. Like... It's not that bad.
1: <laughs> no, I know, but that's, I think that's such an American thing to go from like A to Z. So I'll just, this is a complete segue, but just in case anybody mm-hmm. wants to check them out, you should. So I'm obsessed by this Swedish band called Ghost. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, but, um, you know, they play sort of, I guess you would just throw them into the heavy metal category. But what's interesting is, They combine everything, 70s and 80s rock, theater, these um, like KISS type of makeup. So you feel like you're listening to Blue Oyster Cult and Kansas and then um, some cheesy 80s band and then like metal and then they have theater and so they have this iconography of being Satanist, right? They, have, they do their performances. And by the way, they're becoming huge. So I would like to say I liked them before. They're also anonymous. <laughs> um, so they play with masks. That's actually what drew me to them. I saw this group on, the, on some award ceremony wearing masks. I'm like, Who the heck is that? And then I heard the accent. You know, I'm very connected to Scandinavia. And so I was like, they're Swedish. And then I dug into them. And I was so amazed. And then I thought the music was amazing. And then Dave Grohl, the band is called the Nameless Ghouls. And then the lead singer, they have a mythology. They've created this mythology around the lead singer, whose real name is Tobias Forge. And he plays the Pope. And the Pope dies. And then I have another Pope. But anyway, they have played around with a lot of Satanic images. And all of their songs are things like He Is, which is like about Satan. But it's so cheesy and and no one in their right mind could believe these guys were Satanists if you have like half a brain in your head because Swedes aren't even religious. And he clearly talks about it being completely campy. But Americans, like now that they're getting big people, like, oh, you know, they're like, they're not going to come into our town. They say. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, they're like Kiss. Do you understand Kiss? Like they're doing yeah. exactly what Kiss did. So I think probably her reaction was like, oh crap, they're coming for me, you know, because I wear all black and crystals, you know, and I'm a superstar and all this stuff. But by the way, I don't know if you know that she also dated Joe Walsh. Um, yeah, Joe Walsh, um, Don Henley, Mick Fleetwood, a bunch of different producers who nobody's going to know. Jimmy Iovine, who, of course, is the co-founder of Beats, with, along with Dr. Dre. But before right. that, he was the head of a record company. He also, she, the other thing I want to say, she's a great businesswoman. She was very strategic. And she was making all these connections with people and dating these people that could actually help her in her career later and that were getting involved. Irving Azov that like showed up and would like get involved in in when it's when she became big and then came back to Fleetwood Mac clearly they realized she's the breakout star and they kind of really need her I mean they realized that before but when they started giving her crap she was kind of call on her army and they would sort of show up and be like she's not doing that you know, so. Absolutely.
2: well if you look at like her first solo record as Belladonna And she, you know, she has a collaboration with Tom Petty on that album. She has Don Henley on that album and Jimmy Iovine produced that album. Like, those are like huge names. Yep. So she, yeah, she clearly knew how to get the right people in her corner.
1: And I love that. I love that because it's also just shows what a great sort of businesswoman she is as well, you know? Um, And so, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, Actually, have you seen her before? Have you seen her in concert? I have never seen her. Oh, wow. So this is your first time. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Wow. That is incredible. That is incredible. Oh, I have to say one more thing um, about sort of the Lindsay Buckingham misogyny thing, just in case everyone wasn't angry enough. um, Let me just share one more thing. So you can go Google and like go down a rabbit hole. Um, before they were famous um, and this is also very well documented um, before they were famous um, and they were living together and uh, decided to go, they were a couple and decided to try to make it as Buckingham Knicks. Um, She was basically hustling um, and waitressing, cleaning houses, doing whatever. And Lindsay Buckingham wouldn't do very much. He apparently said he had to completely focus on music because he was a musician. So she said she would come, she would come home. I mean, literally her quote is, I come in every day and have to step over these bodies. I'm tired. I'm picking up their legs and cleaning up under them and ashing, emptying out ashtrays because he was sitting around smoking pot and doing his music. And I feel like, and then, you know, the album cover where she felt very violated about having to pose that way because he basically said, it's art, you idiot. You know, just, it's not about nudity. And she was like, I don't want to do this. And he kind of forced her, which interestingly, you know, I think sometimes that happens a lot. It happens in modeling. It happens in like a lot of things where you are just uncomfortable acting. You don't want to do something, but somebody in power is like, no, this is for your career. You know, you've got this wrong. And everything in your body and mind is like, no, I, this is a boundary for me, you know? And it's not like some crazy boundary, like, I won't eat. It's like, I don't want to take off my clothes. You know, I don't think I need to do that for my job. Um, And I think that you see that that's carried through. Um, And one sort of light thing about this, I don't know if you watched Saturday Night Live, I sent you guys a clip. There's a really funny skit. I encourage everybody to check it out called What's Up With That? which is, um, I think it's Keenan. I forget his last name, Thompson. Yeah, Keenan um, Thompson. Oh my God, he's so effing funny. He's literally like this guy, like this gospel singer who has a song called What's Up With That. So he invites all these guests. They're famous, right? They're like Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. And then they have like one fake guest and then always Lindsay Buckingham, who is played by Bill Hyder. Um, and the, the joke about the show, it's a recurring skit, is that he goes, um, he's basically like, all right, we've got these great guests, you know, these superstars, but he won't let them like say a word. He sings, he goes, you know, he starts singing, and then he brings out all of these, like, like, third, fourth, fifth tier acts, and he gives them all the time. And the two main guests always, like, pretend to get mad. They're like, wait a minute, you invited me on this show, you asked me a question, and then you cut me off. And he's like, uh... And the only person they never get to is Lindsay Buckingham. And he always apologizes. He goes, Lindsay, I'm so sorry. Will you come back next week? I am so... And Linds- and Bill Hyder always plays it like, he's really pissed. But then he's like, ah, okay, I'll come back. And I think it's actually a little dig towards that whole, like, you know, whiny, like, I'm left out and I'm working so hard when it's really like, mm, I don't know if that's totally
2: true. Yeah, it's a pretty funny sketch too.
1: I am looking at, oh my god, I'm just looking at all of the stuff that. There's so much stuff to talk about and to go into. Um, She is somebody. um, You know, it's funny. She was talking about Prince. I think he. Pl- oh, he played the synthesizer on "Stand Back." That's what it is. He played the synthesizer on "Stand Back," and he never got credited for it. That's, that's amazing. Very cool. And she was. <laughs> isn't that cool?
2: And yeah. And and
1: he was and and he was so anti-drug and stuff. She was saying after he died, he was so anti-drug. That's why it was heartbreaking the way that he died. You know, clearly he was in such a place of pain because he used to get upset with her and she actually came out and said she was very offended that he never hit on her Um, (laughs) um, but she was this woman that everybody said was so authentic you couldn't help but fall in love with her Um, she was just who she was Um, and, and you can see she just reminds me of this southwestern girl with like the winged back shagged haircut and if you've seen like the beginning of Tusk there's a video, have you seen it, where she's like, like the baton twirler? It's a kind of a famous clip. I don't know if you've ever seen it.
2: No, I haven't.
1: It's really cool. She's like marching out sort of in front of the, um, uh, the camera and twirling a baton. And you're like, okay, clearly she was um, cheerleading in high school. But um, yeah. then also, I don't know if you were aware. I don't know what you know about Studio City. Do you know anything about Studio City? It's a legendary um, recording studio.
2: Not too,
1: too much. I think it was shut down, but um, there's a movie, Dave Grohl did a movie about it, which I highly recommend people watch. But uh, I think uh, Fleetwood Mac, um, they came together. They had heard, uh, Mick Fleetwood had heard Stevie Nicks uh, singing with Lindsey Buckingham in Studio City. And that's how he was like, who is that person that's singing? And that's how they actually ended up getting together. And they didn't necessarily have auditions and things. They all just went out for dinner because the big thing was, um, you know, I think Mick Fleetwood is like a business genius. Um, he was like, we need to connect with those people. Um, and the only thing that they wanted to make sure was, um, that Stevie Nicks would get along with Christine McVie. They wanted to make sure the two women got along. So they all went out for dinner, uh, They got along and that was it. And that's how Fleetwood Mac was formed. So kind of crazy. Yeah. So what's your favorite song? What is your favorite Fleetwood Mac song? And what is your favorite Stevie Nicks song and why?
2: Okay. That's a good question. I'd say, I think my favorite Fleetwood Mac song would probably be gold dust woman. Like like, that's for me. Um, And why, why is that? I think I I think it's a couple reasons reasons. The voice that she has is so powerful and commanding. Like yeah. it's just very present and I love it. And you, I don't know, there's something about that side of it. And then the harmony as well on the chorus are so good.
1: So for you, it's the physical, the voice, but also the lyrics yeah. I'm sure. The
2: true. lyrics are great, of course too. Like they're so nice, but like, I think everything about it, it's the combination of like, the lyrics and the melody and all that coming together because i think one of the things that sets apart like stevie nicks's writing in fleetwood mac too is the kind of uh vibe around the song like you can kind of tell when it's a stevie nicks song because it has like a like, witchy vibe to it almost um just in the way in the choice of chords and stuff so it's that's that combined with just like how it's
1: performed on the record i think is really just good I, I love it so much do you know um, anything Eva about how about that song like what it is about I actually never bothered to look it up but um I think
2: I, I want to say that it's about cocaine no really I think so I uh, don't quote me I'm gonna I'm gonna check but I think so
1: actually I think I, um, I think you might be right
2: like, I think that's what the gold dust woman is.
0: Did you take a crown? Make it break down. Shatter your religion love. Is it over now? Do you know how? Pick up the pieces and go on.
1: I literally see a woman with a shawl over her head dancing. I mean, the imagery is so strong. With gold, yeah. sparkles. Such an amazing song, okay. And your favorite, oh, I love this song. Your favorite Stevie Nicks song,
2: I think. Recently, while we okay, so I was listening through a lot of her discography like in preparation for this, and I also, I always loved like Edge of the Scene, like you have, like, of course, it's great. I think that. When I was listening through this stuff this time, Sisters of the Moon really for right now is like speaking to me me a lot. And I think it's kind of funny because that song, when she talks about it, she says it's very like nonsensical and like doesn't make any sense to her. She just like wrote these words. But when when I look at the lyrics, I'm like, oh, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with like, it's very witchy in nature. If it's nonsensical to her, it's like subconsciously kind of coming out and still making sense and still portraying this idea is kind of interesting to me. Um, but I've been, I really like that one right now.
1: She has, you know, she has like, we've talked about this a little bit. She's got God, just the way that she said, you know, do you know heart at all? I love heart. Okay. I love heart. I actually have. So, you know, I have records every and all of the homes that I've ever, I've lived all over the world and, um, moved a lot. And so uh, for work and all over the world, I carry my DC punk rock records, uh, which go up on the wall immediately. A couple of David Bowie records, some Beatles. um, And there's a heart record. It's that first record with the two of them. They're like at a medieval fair or something. I forget what the name of the record is. Um, And then they've got like the rest of the band in the background. And there is a song which came out in the eighties, Called Alone. And there's a part where Ann Wilson vocalizes, I sense chills, dumb. It's so powerful. You know, I mean, she just like screams. And I hear that in this song. Um, God, it's like cr- just crazy. Um, yeah. They're another very powerful, powerful female group that, I mean, that has had, I think they don't get enough recognition
0: for what
1: they've done. And they too were like in the 80s. I remember like seeing these, you know, these videos all the time. They play heart. They would play stand back. And as a kid, you know, I thought it was weird. Like, I was like, that's weird. And definitely that witchy vibe sort of, you know, came through. Um, But she was like, you know, Stevie Witt- Nicks really had this, she created this physical persona, right? The uh, she, there's, a, there's a four part, you have to dig a little bit on YouTube to find it, but it's like a behind the scenes with Fleetwood Mac in Japan. And it's basically her doing her makeup. One of them is her, and she's talking about how she's really attracted to old things. Like, um, she's like antiques. She's like, I like old things. And the sort of, makeup that I do is like all like 30s, 40s, it's like Greta right Garbo, 40s, you know, it's this old kind of makeup with the heavy eyeliner and the, the you know, the eyeshadow on my lid. She's like, I didn't even realize I was doing my makeup like that. And, you know, she, the way that she does her hair and the costumes, you know, she wanted something that covered her up and protected her when she right. was on stage. But then it just morphed into this like amazing witchy thing. So. It's like amazing. So I don't know if we can, if we want to take a caller or two, it's nine oh eight. We started a little bit late. Um, if somebody, we might be able to take one, if one or two people want to say something or share anything about Stevie Nicks or Fleetwood Mac, you are welcome to do so now. But um, if not, then we'll probably, it's not, I could keep talking about this, but we'll probably just wrap uh, in another minute or two. But Eve, I wondered, is there anything else that you wanted to share anything that you found that would be interesting? Um, any connections we haven't made yet? Um, I,
2: I think the one thing I do want to say in regards to like her relationships, um, Kind of what we we were talking about that Lindsay Buckingham interview and like how he was like, Oh, you know, maybe if she had like <laughs> a family and a kid and all this stuff about that so he kinda offensive. was like it was like very offensive. And I think one of the things I found in my research that she kinda talked about was like after she got out of a rehab, she ended up going on like clonopin yep. for a while and yep. had like really really like eight years of her life where she was just a total zombie and all this stuff and when she talks about that she's like you know maybe if I didn't go through that I would have had kids or I would have done this or would have done that but like she got got, like eight years of her life basically stolen from her is what how she says it by this like substance that was like it was like a product of like you know her doctor not doing the right thing like you know knowing like that she had just gone out of rehab and giving her this thing so like I don't know. I think that the resilience that she has and then the insensitivity of him to say something like that after going through that. And I don't know. I just think it's important to highlight just how like she is, she has still like persevered through all this like crazy stuff in her life to like do her thing and just be her authentic self and, and make her art. And I just think that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. A thousand percent. I actually wrote that the introduction, the one who prevailed. And that is, I mean, no matter what, she was just like, she lived. Think about what it was to be in this band with this tension constantly with somebody that you dated that's clearly jealous of you all the time. And you have to see their relationships. They have to see your relationships. You're doing all this passive aggressive stuff. You know, it's this is how people get cancer um, and grow like tumors and you internalize this stuff because that's what you do when you can't, you know, scream and yell and punch the person, you can't act out that way. So you internalize it and out of it came, or you release some of it through art, but you know, it can't all go out that way. And when you think about everything, I just keep thinking, she's this tiny woman. I feel like I want to protect her, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah that she went through all of this stuff and fighting through this and trying to figure her way out and making these alliances. And, and I just think, my God, like what a icon. And she's very open about these struggles that she's had. And thank you for bringing up the medication stuff. I've had people very close to me that have fallen prey to the medical system and particularly like psychiatrists and nobody in this country. I mean, that's a whole nother show that I was hoping to have with a friend of mine. Um, Uh, I won't say who he is, but he's the son Olivia knows of a very, very famous comedian. And um, it's just sad, the mental health struggles, because in this country, nobody goes into the mental health care system and comes out alive. It's not true in other countries, but it's very true in our country. And we are very prescriptive. We're not preventative and it's a business. So it gets me actually really upset when I think about this stuff, but the Klonopin, um, Yeah, it destroyed her. The other thing, I don't know if you know, she was pregnant, actually. She had an abortion. She was with Don Henley. And mm, yeah, she talks about that. She says there would have been no Fleetwood Mac, no Stevie Nicks about it again. I don't know if that's true, but um, I think that um, she made these choices and that's her effing business. Exactly. You know? like,
2: that's her deal. And like yeah, like not really any of his business, anyways, what she decides to do with her life and her career. But you know, the fact that she went through all that, got to where she is, and also uplifts a lot of people around her. Um, Correct. Yeah. Uh, kind of as a result of that is just like really inspirational, and also makes her so much of an icon beyond just like of who she was as a music, like as a musician and her musical persona.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I want her to adopt me. I hope that she sees this. Person. <laughs>
0: The
1: same <laughs> and then she can adopt me and I can go live with
0: her in her castle in Southern yeah.
1: Um, Okay. So I, I think um, I could like super keep going on with this um, because I just never get tired. I mean, there, I keep thinking of like different things to talk about with her because, um, and also the other, let me just interrupt myself to also say the cocaine addiction. She's very open about that too. Right. She's like, I did a lot of cocaine. Um, It's very chronicled in that book Gold Dust Woman um, which interestingly it got, I listened to the audio version. I've been going to sleep with it every night which I don't know if that's a good thing but a lot of people complain in the reviews about the narrator. I don't think the narrator is that bad um, but um, she because the narrator does little voices but she talks a lot about how she was in the grips of cocaine. She ended up going to Betty Ford for a month and came out and never went back. But she talks about my septum is completely destroyed. Um, And she's very open about like, she goes, I tried Botox once, never again. Um, And she's really comes from actually quite a conservative stand-up sort of background. When I say conservative, I don't mean like politically, I mean like, like a good girl, you know, like there's an anecdote in the book where somebody came up um, and said, hey, will you sign my arm? a girl came up and said, will you sign my arm? And Stevie Nicks goes, why? And she goes, because I'm going to get it tattooed. And Stevie Nicks goes, hell no. She's like, your friend came up here the other day and asked the same request and I did it. And then she told me she was getting it tattooed. She goes, you're going to regret this and I'm not going to be responsible for it. So no, I am not signing your arm. And I thought, wow, that's a really unpopular and great and correct thing to do. And many people would be sort of nervous to say no in our society, right? They'd be like, well, it's their freedom of expression. She's like, no. So in that way, she's really a different generation. Um, Yeah. But I don't know, much respect. I actually looked up to see if she was coming to play on the East Coast, but she's not. So, um, but she says she loves touring and COVID has been hell for her um, because she's just not been able to get out and do something creative. So hopefully she comes here. I'm definitely going to see her. I think you should probably make a road trip out here and we can go together. Oh my gosh. Um, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be so amazing. Or meet somewhere in the middle of the country. I'd yes. love to go to like Red Rocks and see her. Like that would oh my be, gosh, yeah, that'd be incredible, spiritual and amazing. But, um, okay. So we are at nine fifteen. So I'm probably going to wrap up. Eva, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much. I feel like there are other topics for us to explore in music. We talked about one heart, which I feel like they are not given their due. Um, yeah, I fully agree. And there are probably like a ton of other things. So um, you're a friend of the show and we would love to have you back on. So Yeah, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thank you so much. Um, this has been um, Go ahead, Eva. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: Oh, i say this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Stevie also for just being amazing and having <laughs> and being such an inspiration.
1: <laughs> I know we're also lucky that uh, she is um, in our orbit, and we wish her much success uh, in whatever she chooses to do next. And we're all going to be there, waiting to see and support her. And so we're going to go out with one of my favorite songs by Fleetwood Mac, um, which is a song called The Chain. Good night, everybody. And before I say good night, oh, next week we have Ravi Venkatesan, who is, gosh, uh, he is a climate change activist, a youth uh, entrepreneur, promoter. He was also the CEO of Microsoft, on the board of the Rockefeller Foundation, um, Sanofi Hitachi. So Clearly, he's got a lot of time on his hands um, and he's going to talk to us about how he does it all. He's written a couple of books. uh, um, So he's going to be on the show next week. So we'll see you guys all next week. And we're going to go out with the chain and all hail the great Stevie
0: Nicks.